the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Romanian wine, and welcome back to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with Bread Roll and JT. Romanian wine, indeed. Um, don't know if I've ever tried Romanian wine, Bread Roll, but I'm sure it's very nice if you're into that kind of thing. Um, more of a red wine person myself, and as we find out in this episode, Dale's kind of not got red wine, which is what he needs, but we'll get to that when we get to it. So anyway, we are looking this week at the first of the specials. We're on a special run now. We've done all the series. We're into the, the final sort of home stretch, really. This is uh, Miami Twice, and this is broken down into two episodes. This is the first part. It's called The American Dream. It aired on the 24th of December, 1991. This part is only 50 minutes long. The second part, which we'll do next week, is about um, 95 minutes long. It's a feature-length one. And this one, it actually only had 14.9 million viewers, which I was quite surprised by. That's about 4 million dip from um, last week's episode, Bredwell. Yeah, that is a bit strange, isn't it? Considering um, sort of it ended and then coming back fairly quickly with a Christmas special there. So... Strangely dropped down. I've got to say, this uh, one, part one particularly, is probably the episode I've actually watched the least, I think, of um, all the Only Fools and Horses episodes. Um, yeah, it's just really strange. I do remember, a bit. I was watching it this morning, and I was like, oh yeah, I do remember how most of this happens. But yeah, I was thinking, this is probably the one that I have watched the uh, the least, all, all in all. All right. See, I, I really like Miami Twice. I know there's a lot of people out there. Um, there's another podcast um, that talks. It's not an Only Fools podcast. It's um, it's like a '90s sort of thing, and they they talked about Only Fools. Although a lot of Only Fools ran through the '80s, but anyway, that's up to them. Um, and they were talking about Only Fools. They did a special on on Only Fools, and they said this was the one that they they really didn't like. It was just a bit too far fetched for them. And yeah, it is. But I mean, certainly the first part's very grounded. The second part does go a bit over the top. But I really like this. And this is one of the first specials that I do actually remember watching myself the first time round. There's a vague memory of actually watching this one. So maybe that's why I like it so much. But I've always been a fan of this, both um, parts of this. Yeah, I know. I think all the time that we've known each other, you've always um, had a hold of this one up. And I actually don't mind part two. Obviously, that's the bit I remember most. That's normally the bit I always catch. I mean, I don't watch a lot of live TV. But if this is ever on gold, I usually catch the second part, which is the um, like American side of things. But this part one section, I barely, barely watch. I think I'd probably say I've probably watched it about three times up until watching it, um, obviously, this morning for the sake of this review. It's strange as well, because like you say, it's feature length, particularly part two. And it's strange that they didn't actually go all in and do a movie, because it's quite a common thing. I mean, I don't know about the States or anything, but over here in the UK... When it's a popular TV series, it usually when it ends, it usually gets a movie kind of just on principle, like everything from bloody Kevin and Perry, the in-betweeners, you know, um, and obviously the drama stuff like Downton Abbey and everything. When there's been a really successful show, they normally like to top it off with a movie to sort of say goodbye, and I'm surprised this one didn't get one. That's a good shout, actually, Bread Roll. Yeah, I mean, obviously the specials from here on in don't go feature length, um, but none of them were actually a, a movie as such, like you say there. Um, and the second part of this, obviously, we'll do the second part next week, but this is kind of tied in. Um, in fact, because obviously 
um, on the DVD, actually, it runs as one continuous um, episode, doesn't it, for like 139 minutes, I think. Um, but obviously on, in t- on TV, it was split into two, and Gold showed it in two parts as well. Um, sometimes not after each other as well, which makes no sense to me, but there we go. <laughs> um, but this was inspired by the fact that David Jason can do different accents and everything, and John Sullivan thought it'd be good to get him to sort of flex a little bit, and that's why he got him to do the American accent in the second part, just so um, sort of David Jason had a chance to do a bit of a flex, really. Oh, that's really cool, actually. I mean, he is great in the second part. I look forward to watching that next week when we, we do that. There's some great liners in that one as well. Um, but yeah, it is good how this one sort of transpires. And thinking about it, um, I watched it through Now TV earlier, so I actually just watched the part one. I didn't watch the DVD like I normally do. Um, and it does seem like this whole first chunk, I mean, obviously we'll discuss the synopsis as we always do in a moment, but it does feel like it's just kind of biding its time until the trip to America starts in a way, if you know what I mean. I know it's obviously a 50 minute episode, but it does feel like it's just trying, it doesn't quite find its kind of groove until they go on holiday, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's kind of just setting it up, isn't it? For, for the main crux of the, the, the whole thing. I'm um, just a couple of little tidbits as well. Um, the outside of the christening, which is how this episode starts, was filmed um, at St. John's Church in Camden, but the, that was for the exterior shots. But the interior was filmed at another St. John's Church in Labrook Road. So they used two different churches for some reason. I'm assuming the exterior and the interior didn't quite work out, so they had to use two different churches, but a bit strange, that. Yeah, that is a bit strange. And speaking of exterior, I've got it in my notes and that, but we get like another different one outside of the nag's head don't we like from a different angle and it actually looks really nice outside but it's definitely not the outside that we've seen two or three times in the past yeah yeah i've got that in my notes here yeah and also the uk part of this which is obviously the the first part that was aired was actually shot after the miami part so they'd already been to miami and shot that part before they did the uk part and some of the cast apparently i've never noticed this but some of them have got um suntans and that would be why because they'd actually been out of miami filming the first part or the second part first but I, i've never noticed to be honest no neither have i but um, i'm gonna check that out or keep an eye out for it um when we watch the second part and see if there's any inconsistency i mean i don't think nicholas lindhurst goes a shade above chalk does he really he's so pale <laughs> <laughs> he could go to like um australia for a month and he'd probably still come back white as a sheet yeah exactly i mean yeah he just doesn't change color does he at one point in fact i mean there's a couple of times where they, they say about how white he is obviously in a couple of episodes we've seen that yeah. but yeah I'd, I'd never noticed that before and also we get a little cameo from uh, richard branson at the end of this episode and um they were using virgin airways um for the the plane shot and basically john sullivan just said to richard branson do you want to be in the episode and apparently he jumped at the chances like yeah yeah definitely i'll be in it so that's why he makes a very small little cameo at the end of the episode yeah, he doesn't even say anything, does he? He just turns around and pulls no. a funny face like a low-budget BG, and then that's pretty much it. So. Oh, well, speaking of low-budget BGs, we'll see one of them next week as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's actually not a low-budget BG, he's actually a proper BG, as we find out. The BG. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, should we have a look at the old synopsis then, Bradwell? Yeah, let's get cracking. Okay, this one's pulled from the Only Fools wiki because the other one, the the main wiki, was really bare bones. It literally had about five lines and it just didn't say anything. So I've pulled this from the Only Fools fan wiki page, which is um, quite an in-depth one, but it's better for our purposes. So before we do run through it, obviously, as always, big shout out to Dan Parkinson for our opening theme tune. Um, he's doing some stuff now, his own podcast called Stage Fright. Definitely well worth checking out and obviously his Instagram Loads of stuff going on over there. So cheers, Dan. Nice one, brother. 
Right, <clears throat> so here we go. It's quite a bit of a chunk, this opening one, so I'm just going to clear my throat. <clears throat> so, it's now August 1991, and Damien Trotter is a few months old. He's being christened at the local church. Boise and Marlene are about to jet off for three weeks to America, and Boise is more worried about getting home to finish packing than attending his best friend's son's baptism. After the service outside the church, Rodney is given a payoff from the printing firm by his father-in-law, Alan. Rodney and Cassandra Trotter's marriage is still in stormy waters. Dale, meanwhile, sees pound signs yet again and has a scheme to save the vicar money. In the vestry, the vicar who baptised Damien says he blesses the communion wine, but before he blesses it, the wine is just ordinary wine. Dale does a time and motion study of the wine and comes up with an idea of blessing it by the lorry load, thus saving the vicar many hours. He offers to sell the vicar the wine cheap. Shock horror. Del Boy then slips him a few quid for the christening, then hurriedly leaves, knowing the vicar was trying to butt in with a few questions about the scheme, ones that Del might not like. As Del is leaving the church, Mickey Pierce offers to do Del some good turns in the future, and Del offers him a challenge to babysit Damien. Although we don't actually find out he's babysitting Damien until the next scene, but we'll, um, we'll breeze over that. So I do like the way this opens. I mean, obviously, we normally get an opening in the flat, but this obviously opens in the church at the wedding. And at wedding christening and pretty much the whole gang are there i don't think jevon's in it is he pretty much everyone else is but i didn't see jevon in the church i don't think no i don't think jevon is there but like you say everyone else is there but you would have thought there'd be like maybe more than just the usual suspects like some extended family and bits and pieces knowing the whole you would have thought like raquel's parents would be there for example i don't remember spotting them oh that's a good shout no they're not are they obviously we haven't met them yet um in fact she hasn't even mentioned them yet has she um, it's a bit later on that she starts mentioning we do meet them that one time. Um, but, yeah, really good shout, actually. Um, and it is just literally the usual gang, isn't it? There's no sort of anyone else. It is just the usual crew. I didn't really pick up on that, but that's a really good shout. And Rodney's still looking wary of Damon, isn't he, when the vicar hands him to him, and obviously he's the godfather. And he still looks properly shit scared of him, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And that's something that is like an ongoing thing now. Um, it doesn't get as overplayed as it did when they first, obviously, when Damien was born, as we mentioned last week and everything. But it is quite amusing because at first he hands him to him and he's refusing to look at him, isn't he? He's like just looking yeah. in every direction. Then when he looks down, we get obviously that music kicking in. The thing that makes me laugh, though, is fucking everyone's there, fairly decently dressed and everything, as you can imagine. Marlene looks like she's fucking got a 101 Dalmatian jacket on her, doesn't she? This big, puffy, fucking white with like black polka dot fucking garb on, like bloody Coella Deville. Oh, she does wear some random stuff, though, Marlene, doesn't she? She likes the leopard print and all that kind of thing. I like the way that Dell has a go at Rodney as well. He's like, don't you drop him, Rodney. He starts having a go at him, doesn't he? He's like, oh, he, he dropped a bloody whole Dalton tea set once, saying, and Raquel's like, shut up. <laughs> He's like, probably having a go at him. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And then you get this classic bit. Um, Alan's then, it's always Trigu like speaks to Alan. He seems to have like a good rapport with him, doesn't he? It's always like, he does. Oh, you're going down to the pub later, Alan. And he goes, oh, I might do. And then Pam gets obviously involved. She goes, oh, you're going down there to get drunk. It'll be like, you know, whiskeys and all this sort of stuff and getting all Larry. And then Trig just trying to go, slow down, Pam. We've got to do the christening first. <laughs> I love that bit. He's like, um, yeah, going down the pub, Alan. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go down for a quick one. We've got to be polite just to wet the baby's head. And, yeah, like Pam properly pipes up there and has a go. And we know she doesn't like him drinking, although obviously we get a bit of a 180 on that in a minute. And he's like, um, you just want to go down the pub and on the nag's head and get drunk with Del. And he's like, oh, tight, Pam. We need to christen the baby first. It's the way Dead Pam pipes up. That's brilliant. <laughs> just great trigger, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And um, like Cass and um, Rodney are like, they look together in this. I'd forgotten that they're obviously still a little bit on shaky ground at this point because they're together in the christening and they're going to be like the godparents. And obviously, they're up there doing their thing and everything. Um, but obviously, we get to the next scene in a minute and she just sort of drives off. And I was like, I couldn't, I actually forgot that they weren't like properly back together because at the end of series seven, as we know, they're in the bed having a bit of hanky panky over his fucking ponytail. Um, and it looked like everything was going to be golden, but they actually went back to the whole, they're kind of still finding out where they are of each other. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense because they had obviously been separated and just one night hanky-panky doesn't actually mean you're going to be completely back together. Um, so it does kind of make sense the way it's been done, I suppose. It makes it a bit more realistic. I like it when um, old Boise's stressing to Marlene about packing, as the synopsis said there, when she's like, you're not enjoying the Christians. Like, oh, I need to get home and pack. And she's like, oh, she's done all the packing. And then uh, when they go outside and Mickey gets the whole group together and he's like, smile, Trig. Trig's like, I am smiling. And then Mickey puts the camera on a timer, doesn't he? And then he runs in front of um, Pam and Alan, just fucking jumps in front of them. And Pam's face is a picture. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? It would be as well, fucking Mickey Pierce. And again, it just shows like Dell, isn't it? It's like, I need a proper photographer. Who are we going to get? Mickey Pierce, you know? <laughs> Couldn't even go out and buy like a sort of half-decent one. Yeah, there's a bit here as well, which I think is a cut, and it's on the DVD, and it's also when they show it on Dave, so, Dale Gold, sorry. When um, Marlene's talking, no, sorry, Dale's talking to um, Raquel outside, and he says um, he needs to see the vicar, and she's like, why do you need to see the vicar? And he starts going on about the Bible and the Book of Prophets. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but Raquel turns around and says, no, Dale, I don't think they're talking about those sort of prophets, and it just cuts dead, and Marlene sort of comes along and starts talking. And it sounds like Raquel's cut off, like there's another line there, but I've never seen it. So I don't know if there is, whether it's just a, a weird cut or whether it's been cut for whatever reason. I don't know if you noticed it. I did notice the weird cut. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if there was, like you say, maybe something was there or it's just like really bad editing, really. One thing I did pick, um, think there was like, we've seen in the past and we've obviously mentioned it like on several occasions. Dell is usually like really wary of the church and obviously he believes mm. that God's going to like punish him and stuff. And He's back to doing deals here, which made me think, all right, he's going back to the whole, as you as you mentioned earlier, I left it in my vestry. And then the whole um thing with the, the lead on the roof and everything, but he's always really cautious about doing anything church-related. He doesn't seem that bothered in this one, does he? He's like quite upfront and a bit more brash with it, whereas normally he's like really scared that God's going to smite him down. That's good. Good shout, yeah, because the whole thing in this, obviously, he, when he goes to the vicar and he, he sells a bloody trotter's pre-blessed wine, um, yeah, he doesn't seem to be giving a shit, does he, at all? Um, but then, on the flip side of that, jumping ahead a little bit in the second part, when he goes to Miami and Rodney finds out, obviously, why he's gone there, he uses that as an excuse, doesn't he? He's like, oh, there's only a couple of things that scare me, and that's uh, doctors and gods. So he kind of then goes on a complete 180 and says that's why he's gone to Miami. I guess he's just using that as an excuse to Rodney as to why he stitched him up. Yeah, because he does obviously play his fiddle a bit with uh, Rodney here and manipulates him quite a bit. And one thing I thought, um, Mike comes out and he's obviously asking about like the the money for like the spread and everything. But he looks like he's wearing one of Dale's jackets. He's got one of those like sort of puffy Camelair style jackets on. He probably is because he does buy most of the shit that Dale's <laughs> trying to sell, doesn't he? But I like the way he says, oh, you know, you're going to give me the money for the, the do later on or at least give me a deposit. And Dale's like, how dare you talk about money outside of church, Michael? And then goes and then talks to the vicar about fucking Trotter's free blessed wine. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I do like, obviously, we get Alan and Rodney talking to each other because I don't know what it is. It's almost, I just like, obviously, the way Alan always like, has a soft spot for Rodney and trying to take him under his wing in that. And then he's talking about, like, 
oh, your company pension checks come through. And if you want, you can keep it with the business and we'll rack it up for you. And he's like, it's worth 935 pounds. And Rodney's like, oh, I'll take that now then. And, and um, obviously just wants the money. But that's actually the equivalent of 2,568 pounds in today's coinage. I put it in the old calculator earlier to find out. Oh, good stuff, Bradwell. Yeah, I didn't do um, a conversion there. So, yeah, good stuff for doing that one. It's quite funny, though, isn't it? Because Rodney gives him the whole speech when um, Alan's like, you know, you can have it now or you can keep it and accumulate some more money. Yeah, well, you know, I always thought about the future and all that. And he's, he says, look after the future now. And Alan's like, yeah, yeah, I thought you'd say that. So, anyway, let's have a look. £935 over. And everybody just cuts across him. 935 quid. I'll have that now, Alan. And Alan's <laughs> like, what about the future? What future? I work for Dell. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because when Alan first walks up to me, he goes, how's the new job? What? You're working for Dell. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've heard he's got some, uh, what is it, some contacts in Warsaw? No, Warsaw. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we get Dell doing the old pre-blessed wine thing, I mean, he probably sells it to the vicar, but before, as the synopsis said there, before he's got a chance to butt in, he's like, right, I'll get a lorry load to you tomorrow. You can do a practice run. Anyway, I've got to go now. He's a few good for the christening. Bye. And off he goes, doesn't he? He does. He comes out of a few cracking lines in this, as usual. And he's like, um, we can save the church money. That's money you better spent on roofs, organs, and orphans. And now we know <laughs> how the people felt when they saw the burning bush or the first pot noodle. <laughs> I love that line. It's so good, isn't it? And then, obviously, when he sort of runs off and Mickey collars him, just he's trying to leave the church and says um, he's got a job for Mickey. But we don't actually find out he's babysitting, do we? He said, I don't think he can handle it. He's probably like selling it to Mickey that it's going to be a great job. Mickey's like, oh, I can handle it, though. I can handle it. He's like, oh, go on then, off you go. And then um, we find out, obviously, what it is when he gets to the pub in a minute. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> when did we find out? I was like, why the hell would Dell, of all people, leave Mickey Pierce to babysit his son? I know. I mean, he's already said of quite a few episodes that, you know, he couldn't trust Mickey Pierce with anything. Then he trusts him with his fucking firstborn. Yeah, it just wouldn't happen, would it? No. <laughs> So anyway, let's have a look what happens next. So that evening at the Nags Head, Rodney and Cassandra have a chat together in the pub garden, talking about their marriage troubles. In the pub, Boise says how he's got Dale to take him to the airport as all his trusted friends were busy. Back outside, Cassandra says how she'd love to go to America. Dale, meanwhile, has said he will pay Rodney's payoff into his bank account tomorrow. A few days later at Sid's Caf, Dale meets Rodney, who is yet again given another lecture about the state of the world. Dale says he had lunch with Cassandra and she was saying how she'd love to go to America. He says after the meeting, he went to down the travel agents and booked two tickets to Miami for Rodney and Cassandra as Rodney's payoff money from the, sorry, on Rodney's payoff money from the printing firm. Dale says to Rodney to take her out to dinner and throw the tickets on the table and say, he's taking her to Miami. When Dale says he took the money out of Rodney's account, an angry Rodney gets up, but ever sharp Dale says, don't you dare thank me. No worries, I can forge your signature as easy as that. So um, going back to the start of this bit here, when they turn up at the nag's head, as you said, it looks completely different yet again. And Dale just fucking parks across about three spaces just randomly, doesn't he? He doesn't even park in a parking space. He just shoves the Capri at an angle and just gets out of it. Yeah, well, it's just Dale for you, isn't it, in general? Because you can see the three-wheel bound in the background as well. But yeah, he just takes up as much as he wants. But I was thinking that on the outside, I was like, is that supposed to be the nag's head? Or are they like another pub that's near the church because it looks like a sort of country style pub doesn't it because you see the view and it's got the nice kind of like the old school sort of like knee-high wooden fencing going around it with some outdoors tables and everything and it's like is that actually nags head and then when it cuts to the indoors you're like yep definitely is but we've not seen that location or that angle of one of the shots for it before 
No, I mean, that pub has been done up more times than you can think, isn't it? Outside, it's changed its location. <laughs> it's had different exteriors, different car parks. You name it, it's had it. But then Cass storms out, doesn't she? She nearly knocks Dell out with the door. And um, obviously, Dell thinks Alan's drunk because he sort of looks like he's staggered out at one point. He puts his head up against the wall. Dell's like, you need to stay off the scotch. And Alan's like, I've not been on the scotch. I've been on the shandies. And then Pam fucking staggers out. And... I don't know if it's bad acting or what, but she's all over the place and it's a bit over the top, isn't it? Yeah, it is completely. But it is a good sort of, like you say, a 180 sort of like roundabout thing how she comes out and she's like trying to give Dell a kiss. And at first he's like, no, no, no. And then he, he ends up just like going in for the kiss as well, doesn't he? He's a fucking nightmare. He's a bit of a nightmare, isn't he? As far as Raquel, I get pretty pissed off from him. We said a couple of weeks ago he's all over Marlene every week and like he doesn't sort of fend her off too hard, does he? He's sort of in the end, he's just like, yeah, he just goes for it. Obviously, Raquel doesn't see it. Yeah, there's a, there's a good bit once we cut into the pub and everything because we see like uh, Cassandra and Rodney, they're kind of not really talking to each other. They keep sort of like me catching eyes across the room, but never really sort of like moving in. And then <laughs> fucking Rodney talks to Trigger and he's like, Trigger, have you ever been wrongly accused of something? Yeah, I have actually. Oh, yeah? How'd you get out of it? Well, I didn't. I was guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, because you keep seeing him sort of making really awkward eye contact. And at one point, Rodney does go over to walk to her and she she doesn't even notice him. She doesn't deliberately walk away from him, does she? She sort of sees, I think, Marlene and that talking and goes over to them. So she's not deliberately trying to avoid him, but Rodney's getting more and more pissed off. And then you've got Boise. He's stressing out about his house being empty for three weeks and Marlene's there spouting off about the holiday and he's saying, I don't want everyone to bloody know I'm going all day for three weeks. He's getting all stressed out again, isn't he? He is, yeah. Do you like old Boise in this one? And there's a bit where Dell starts talking to him and he's like talking about like Marlene and what she looks like in the morning and everything. And him and Mike are laughing along. And he's like, How do you know what Marlene looks like in the morning? And Dell's like, Your milkman told me. And then Boise's just like, Oh, yeah, she has, and sort of nods along. And normally you expect him to stop and do that and look over his shoulder when he realizes, but he doesn't actually do it in this one. No, he doesn't, does he? He just sort of nods agreeingly and just sort of. Put, has a little puff on his cigar. He does sort of give her a bit of a hmm, look, but he doesn't actually say anything because Dundell says she could put the fries up Hannibal Lecter in the mornings or something, and he's, he starts laughing. He's like, oh, how do you know what Marlene looks like in the morning? And you've you got Mike going on about how there's a, America's been on the verge of a drug war, like properly winding Boise up about the fact he's going to America as well. Yeah, yeah. And again, that bit, I don't know, like, I get like I was doing trying to wind voice yet, but I don't know. I just felt like this bit was kind of dialogue that kind of didn't quite know how to kind of deliver itself. Um, this kind of sequence it is funny, but it was just feel like it was like five or six minutes of well, not even that long, really, put out three minutes of dialogue between these guys, but it didn't have the normal kind of flow that it, used, that it usually has in the episodes. Yeah, I know what you mean because Mike then goes to think about I don't know what, how he gets to it, but he says something about um, bloody. Um, one of the neighbours' characters having a baby or something that died, and then Trigger gets all confused, doesn't he? And says about, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, need, don't, you shouldn't talk about the dead like that and everything. And they're like, oh, what do you want about Trigger? He's like, what was it, Daphne or something? No, because Daphne and neighbours died. I do remember that. He's like, she had a three-month-old baby or something. They're like, oh, right, Trigger, okay. But yeah, it's kind of strange, that dialogue. It's a little bit out of place, isn't it, almost? Yeah, it is. And like I say, it's quite funny, but... um in his own right, but it just doesn't feel like it flows as normal. And then I think it's around here, it kind of cuts to the outside and suddenly it's night time. Um, yeah, and we have like, it? yeah, in the space of like 10 minutes, it's gone from like day to night. But um, we have sort of Cass and she just randomly stood on her own at the ass end of the car park. I don't know if she's waiting for a ride or what she's doing, but she just seems to be stood there like pondering to herself. And then 
Rodney kind of like sort well sort of lurches up behind her and they have a little bit of a conversation about like you say like America and all that sort of stuff and she's like oh I'd love to go to America and he's getting all excited it's like yeah when I get my promotion we could go in a couple of years and he's like oh, pause me yeah yeah you're right actually why is she just stood there on her own she doesn't smoke or anything it's not like she's out there having a cigarette yeah that's a bit of a weird one that she's just randomly stood out there she hasn't got a coat on or anything I don't think so I don't think she's planning to leave I don't know a bit strange but obviously it sets up their conversation one thing as well I know is I hadn't really noticed this before but Denzel hasn't had anything to do in this episode yet I mean he, he's been in the background he's in the background in the church he doesn't say a word and then he, he's sort of bobbing around in the background when Mike Trigger and Delvin and Boyce and all that are talking and he doesn't actually say anything then he just disappears I'm like he just keeps popping up but he hasn't actually had a speaking part yet that's a good point actually because he's in the next scene at Sid's Calf but again I don't he think is. he says anything but I was thinking earlier as well I mean I know it's a bit further on in the synopsis but Uncle Albert doesn't actually have a scene or like say anything until 31 minutes into this episode I think it is it's about when we get the first shot of the flat is the first time we actually get something from him yeah I was about to say that as well when we, when we get to the calf that um well, in fact, we might as well be there now because that's the next shot. Um, so they get to the calf, obviously, and um, Rodney's in there and he's spouting off about bloody trees and stuff and everything. And Denzel does actually get a little bit of a speaking part here because he says about he had a coal burner once or something, doesn't he? That's the only line he says oh, in the yeah, whole yeah. episode. But even even at this point, Dale comes in and he's like, Albert, I booked you a front seat, a front row seat at the local laundromat and chucks some washing at Albert. And again, he doesn't say anything. He just looks at the camera, gives a sort of mm. look and walks off. It's like, is Albert actually going to say anything in this episode? Obviously, he does a little bit later on, as you just said. Yeah, because normally you get a little retort from him, like, oh, oh, you wouldn't have done this in the Navy, mate, and sort of wobbled his head around and wandered off. Like you say, he just kind of like goes, oh, leaves his <laughs> breakfast and wanders off. <laughs> he does, yeah. And then Dell obviously gets a bit sidetracked. He calls Rodney over to the other table. He's like, in private private and off he goes to the table with Rodney and he's like oh they're you know they're fucking not interested in what I'm saying about green and all that sort of stuff and then Dale's like um so has a little chat with him and then he, and, uh, Rodney says so what was it you had to tell me then because he says about um oh they're, they're only interested in a postcard they got from Boise and Marlene does oh yeah we got one of those as well and starts reading it out and then Rodney's like so what did you actually have to tell me then and Dale's like oh yeah it's like he's forgotten about the whole Miami thing Rodney had to prompt him to fucking tell him well, yeah, considering it's like some big ruse that we find out that Dale was obviously concocted. Um, and we know Dale's not always the sharpest knife in a drawer, but this is actually a fairly well thought out plan of how he lines all this up. Obviously, I'm sure the synopsis will cover it in a second. But um, this is like the first time I think we've seen Sid's calf in quite a while as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, that's changed as well. I mean, it changes again when we see it in later <laughs> episodes. So that's another place it changes every bloody time. Um, I mean, Dale says he's called into Alex, the travel agent, and that's the guy we saw in the um, episode with Grandad where they go to Spain, isn't it, Alex? So he's still knocking about, whatever we don't actually see him. Yeah, must be doing all right for himself to be in the uh, that sort of um, travel agent game for so long. Yeah, exactly. And then Dale probably sells a holiday to Rodney, though, doesn't he, about how great it's going to be and he'll, you know, everything. And Cassandra really wants to go and she's got a holiday coming up and he needs to go there, like the synopsis said, and throw the tickets down and sort of knock her off her feet and everything. And Rodney's like properly into the idea, isn't he? Yeah. And I do love, like, again, like, you sort of see Dale laying the foundation and later on we find out why. And he's like, oh, I should ring, I should phone Cassandra just to make sure she's, you know, gets time off. No, no, I've already spoke to her. You know, she's, she's fine and all this sort of stuff. And she really wants to go to America and he's proper like, you know, pulling the strings as he usually does. He is indeed. It's the second time he stitched Rodney up over a holiday. Obviously when they went to Spain was 
a bit different, but he stitched them up there as well. So it's something he does quite often. Yeah, I've actually got that here about, um, you know, Dale's holiday plans. Would Rodney really trust him after, like you say, the trip to Spain? And also the other trip to Spain they took with Grandad that time. Yeah, I guess at the moment he doesn't realise Dale's going with him, does he? So he thinks it's just him and Cassandra, but I guess he should know better, really, with Dale. Yeah, Dale's always got off. There's always something in there for Dale, isn't there, no matter what he's doing. <laughs> of course there is. I mean, he kind of means well, but at the same time, he's a little bit malicious, isn't he, with his plans sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> So let's have a look at how this um, ends. This is quite a fair chunk, but it does cover sort of the last part of the episode. So the following night, Dale comes home having trouble with the wine deal. He'd sold them white wine, unsuitable for the Holy Communion. Rodney comes in and says that Cassandra cannot come to Miami that week. She's attending a seminar at the bank. The tickets are also non-refundable, but Rodney says he may still go. Rodney goes off to have a shower and Dale has volunteered to take Cassandra's place. Raquel hears him say over the baby intercom and smiles, knowing what Dale is like, even though she said to baby Damien that maybe Dale could go with Rodney. Dale also says the tickets are non-transferable after Albert says Mickey Pierce could go with Rodney. This means Rodney has to go with someone named Trotter. Raquel suggests to Dale, why doesn't he go with him? Dale pretends to say no, but when Raquel persuades him, knowing he really wanted to go, Dale becomes excited. He then pretends he won't enjoy it, as he's only doing it for poor little Rodney. When Rodney comes back from his shower, Dale happily announces he's going to Miami with him. Rodney does not beat around the bush and says, no, you bloody ain't. Dale takes Rodney into him and Raquel's bedroom and asks him what his problem is. Rodney says he's not going 4,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Dale in his ear hole all day and night. Dale starts explaining he's now changed since their last holiday, where he's shouted at women, got drunk and got him and Rodney into fights. After much reluctance and much persuasion from Dale, Rodney finally agrees to let Dale come with him. A few days later at Gatwick Airport, Dale, Rodney, uh, Dale and Rodney are waiting for their plane to Miami. As they board, they meet Richard Branson. Then they get on the plane ready for the nine-hour flight to Miami. A holiday to remember, which we will obviously go into next week. But um, I do think it's quite funny at the start of this scene when Albert says, Oh, I saw that vicar yesterday with Chris and uh, Damien. He was doing something really weird. He's looking at this lawyer with German writing all down the side. And he was like saying a prayer and blessing it. What's all that about? And Dale's like, oh, I don't know. Funny old world, isn't it? Yeah, Dale just gives like quite a few sly looks here as like, obviously the plan and the details are unfolding and stuff. Because um, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a Romanian fellow there as well. And he's like, he's <laughs> fucking bobbing around. But at least obviously when he does talk and he gets this sort of section of the, the episode to sort of close in 20 minutes or so, he does get a bit of dialogue in there. Yeah, he does. Um, and Rodney, when he does come in from his uh, thing with Cassandra's meal, Cassandra's actually wearing a half-decent suit again, isn't he? I mean, it fits him a bit better than some of the suits we've seen him wearing. Yeah, that's true, actually. I mean, he properly slams the door as well, isn't he? Because like, they hear it like twang shut and it's like, oh, Rodney's home. And there's a bit here, um, I, you can notice it in some of the episodes, but for some reason, just a certain angle, the way it was shot, I really, really noticed it. The backdrop... Um, you know, when Dale's got his little mini bar and you've got the window and it just sees yeah. you normally see all like the flats. You can definitely tell it's just a print, like a fabric print with like drawn on flats at the back of it. And from different angles, it usually doesn't look that bad, but it just looked really obviously fake um, on this particular episode. And I've never really picked up on that before. Yeah, I'd noticed that watching this earlier. You're absolutely right. It does look really bad, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes they make it look a bit real. They, they even put flashing lights sometimes in the background to look like the, the, the sort of lights of the flats and that going on and off. But yeah, it does look really bad in this episode. Um, Dale's face though, when Rodney comes in, he slams the door and he's like, oh, and I was like, oh, Rodney's home. And Dale's like, 
everything all right, bruv? And he sort of gives this sly look because he knows Rodney's going to say, no, it's not. Yeah. It's weird as well because it takes Rodney quite a while to kind of clock on that it's probably Dell is responsible for this. He hasn't quite put it together that Dell urged, you know, said, oh, I've already bought the tickets for you. I've already cashed a check for you. I've already planned all this and everything. I'm surprised he hadn't figured all this out already because normally when you hear the door slam, he comes in and he confronts Dell on the spot, doesn't he? But he's a bit slow on the mark on this one. Well, he's very slow on the mark because he doesn't really put two and two together and get to the full picture until they're in Miami and it all goes tits up when um, he speaks to Cassandra is when he finally gets, you know, the the penny finally drops. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's had his sort of thoughts, but that's when it finally drops, when Cassandra actually tells him. And I do think this is a bit strange as well. <laughs> Rodney's sleeping in the same room as Damien. That's a little bit weird, isn't it? Obviously, it's done for laughs because there's a funny bit in a minute, but it's a bit strange that he's sleeping in the same room as him, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But I tell you, the first thought I had when you get the in shot of the room, um, the fucking wallpaper reminded me of train spotting because he's got like yeah. Thomas wallpaper and, and train spotting. He's got just normal trains on it. But I was looking at it thinking, where do I know that from? And I think, fuck me, it's old Renton's bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I never put two and two together. Though. Yeah, that's a good shout. Obviously, he doesn't trip out, though, thank God, like Renton did. The shit himself, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, then Dale tells Raquel, and oh, you should have um, you should have told Rodney to phone Cassandra. Well, you know, I did, but you know what he's like, and all that. He's probably playing it to Raquel as well, isn't he? At this point, he is. Yeah, and I do like the bit in a little while when Raquel see she's clocked on and she's waiting for Dale to um, obviously um, ask if he can go to Miami and such. But the bit with the fucking the the baby speaker, whatever it's called, um, the intercom. When Rodney's like saying, stop staring at me, Damon, and all that stuff. And then Dell talks to her on the intercom and he's like, who are you talking to, Rodney? And Rodney obviously <laughs> thinks it's Damien. And he's like, Jesus Christ! Just comes fucking legging it out of the bedroom. I think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Although he would have known that was Dell, surely. But anyway, obviously there's a bit in a future special where Dell's on the phone to him. But we'll come to that as well when we get there. But yeah, I'm sure he would recognise Dell's voice. But I guess he just... In a panic-stricken moment, maybe he wouldn't have sort of clocked that it was Dell. But then he comes running out and everything. He said, "Oh, is it all right if I if I sleep on the sofa now? I don't want to sleep with Day in Damien's room anymore because you know I think my snoring sort of keeps him awake." And they're like, um, "Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Whatever you want." And then he says, "Right, I'll just go and have a shower and I'll put my head down." So off he goes. And I'm thinking, "How can you? Everyone's still up. What are you going to do? Just like push everyone off the sofa and say, right, I'm going to sleep now.' Then because I don't know what time of night was supposed to be, but." He's like, I'm going to have a shower and go to sleep. But no one's actually gone to bed yet. So he's going to have to wait for everyone to go to bed before he can go to sleep. Exactly that. And we know that the trotters keep strange hours. I mean, it's always like fucking happy hour in Dale's house, isn't it? Like pouring himself yeah. a pina colada first thing in the morning. So like you say, when he comes out with a shower, it doesn't mean they're all just going to clear off the bed. You don't even know what time it is at this point. Exactly. And then obviously, Dale then starts saying to Rodney, oh, you've got to go to Miami and everything, putting the next sort of phase of his plan into action, isn't it? Because he knows... Rodney's now having doubts about going on his own. He's like, I oh, know, but you've got to go. You've got to show Cassandra, you know, that you're in charge and you're the man and you don't need her to do all this stuff. He's probably putting in his head that he's got to go, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's definitely sort of like, like don't think, twisting the knife. That's not really the right term or anything, but he's definitely, you know, say, pushing it and putting this plan together because it's obviously him who's in trouble, as we find out in part two more than anything else. But it is quite clever the way, again, like John Sullivan's writing about how, like, this little plan that he did at the start actually has pretty far-reaching consequences and now Dell's got to the point where he wants to leave the country to lay low yeah I do like it when Al was like he won't go will he when Rodney's gone to have his shower and Dell's like yeah of course he will won't can you know why who's that then because I'm going with him and Albert sort of does a little head wobble doesn't he 
Yeah, I know. Didn't do the fucking old, uh, the dragging Lada laugh that he usually does. No, and then obviously you get Raquel talking to Damien. Then she hears Dell talking to Albert about, you know, I'm going to go and Raquel's been to America and I think it's only fair that I get a chance and all that. And she gives this sort of knowing sort of smile, doesn't she? She's like, yeah, I know what you're up to, but at least she's down with the idea and everything because she's been talking to Damien as well, isn't she? Saying maybe Daddy can go with Rodney and all that. So they sort of, although they've got different reasons, they sort of both know that he wants to go. Yeah, and I do like the fact that she was going to let him go anyway. And I, the angle of the camera is brilliant because like Dell was like going, "Oh, poor Rodney!" And like she's kind of just smiling to herself, waiting for Dell to get to the point. He's like, "I mean, poor Rodney!" Like trying to get her to like respond <laughs> and everything. And then Albert's even like, "Oh, maybe you could go with him, Dell." It's really well done. I do like it. I love that bit. I mean, the synopsis said it as well, but Albert's like, "I've got an idea, Dell." Oh, what's that, Uncle? Why didn't he take someone with him? That's a great idea. Mm, but who could he take? What about Mickey Pierce? It's fucking great, <laughs> isn't it? He's like, Mickey Pierce? Well, the the tickets are in the name of Trotter and they're non-transferable. But I was thinking, surely they wouldn't just be Trotter. It would be Rodney Trotter and Cassandra Trotter, wouldn't it? They'd have their full names on there. You would have thought so. And if it's Trotter, then they'd be like, well, send Albert then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he hasn't got a passport there, has he? We find out. Ah, yeah, that's a good point, actually, yeah. In a later episode. But then Dale again, like he says to Raquel, but I couldn't go because I'd just be worried sick and everything. And, you know, you and Damien on your own. She's like, all right, then don't go. And then Dale's like, but on the other hand, and she's like, (laughs) sort of, like you say, the the camera angle, she's smiling away, knowing exactly what he's he's trying to do. And she's just winding him up, isn't she? Yeah, and she's like, I got an idea, Dale. Why don't you go? Me? Oh, I could, couldn't <laughs> I? Oh, but I couldn't leave you and Damien again. It's just, it's fucking brilliant. And the chemistry between the two is fantastic. Although I must say, I mean, no disrespect to her or anything like that, but the hairstyle um, Raquel has got in this episode doesn't suit her very well, I don't think. No, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, it is a bit strange, isn't it? But I love it as well. Again, the synopsis said it there, but Rodney comes out, doesn't he? And Albert's like, oh, Dale's got some good news for you. Oh, yeah, what's that then? And Dale's like, I'm coming to Miami with you. Just the way he goes, no, you bloody ain't. I fucking love that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a sort of like snapdragon response from Rodney, but it's brilliant. Dale's face just completely drops. He's like, Rodney, Rodney, can we have a conversation, please? In the boardroom, Rod- Dale, uh, Rodney's like, yeah, wherever you want. They go into, obviously, the bedroom. And then Damien starts crying while Rodney's having a go at him. And De- uh, Dale's saying sort of how he's mature and everything. He's got a baby and that now. Fucking Damien starts crying and Raquel asked for a nappy about a hundred times, didn't she? And Dale still doesn't get her one. I do love the fact that he's got like a thousand packets of Pampers stacked up in his bedroom as well. Yes. I mean, obviously, God knows what lorry they fell off. <laughs> but he's never short of a few things. But like you say, it takes some ages to actually give her one. And the best bit is when he's like, oh, I'm glad I kept these now. When obviously Rodney agrees to take them <laughs> on there. And he pulls out these big fluffy like leopard print trunks, doesn't he? And gives them to Rodney. He does. He's given his whole spiel about how he's responsible now and how he's grown up and he's mature and, you know, nothing's going to happen. And then Rodney does reluctantly agree, as the synopsis said there. And he's like, oh, good job. I kept these there. And out they come. They're fucking furry, aren't they? God knows what you'd wear them for. Well, you wouldn't want to go in the water with them, would you? Christ, you come out, look like you've got a big soggy minge or something like that. I'm wearing them. <laughs> and then, obviously, it cuts to um to Gatwick. It says, oh, I'm assuming it's Gatwick. It could be Heathrow. But anyway, we'll say it's Gatwick. And you get the little cameo from Richard Branson. I do like that. When they call the boarding thing, Dale's like, come on, come on, we've got to go. And Rodney's like, there's no rush. Yeah, yeah, there is. And he goes along and then Branson's in front of him. And he's like, oh, what is it? 
oh, steady on. So I don't even think you own the place or the airline. And he turns around and there he is doing this cheesy fucking grin. Yeah, although Dell doesn't actually clock who it is, does he? Rodney's like, ooh, no. sort of, he's like pointing and Dell just wanders off. And Dell, once again, his trunks weren't bad enough. Now he's got like a tiger striped fluffy carry on. <laughs> he's already in some kind of like hula shirt of some kind. He just looks fucking ridiculous. He does, doesn't he? I like that line as well. It's like, sooner you're on the plane, the sooner Biggles can take off. <laughs> That's yeah. a good line. But then when they get on the plane, like, um, Dale obviously tells Rodney he sorted out accommodation and transport on Rodney's credit card, which doesn't go down too well. Because Rodney says, oh, yeah, I'll put that on my credit card. And Dale's like, I've already done it. What, on my credit card? Yeah. Well, that's what you'd have done anyway, isn't it? Rodney's like, um, well, yeah, I guess so. That bit's all cut out of gold, actually, that whole section there where Dale says he's paid on Rodney's credit card. I don't know why. Maybe just for running time. I don't know. But then Dale was a bit of a dick on the plane, didn't he? Because he says, I'm just going to take a nap. And his seat reclines into that woman. And you hear the drink go down. You don't actually see her. And she's having a go at him. Then he ends up turning around saying, oh, you're on your own, love. And he starts to try and chat her up. And I'm like, you've only been gone for about 10 seconds. You're only trying to chat up people. But you're supposed to be mad in love with Raquel. Yeah. Again, it's probably one of those things that is done for comedy, but it doesn't actually work in the continuity of it. Because like you say, he's done no. the whole thing about him being responsible and everything. And no, we know he completely dotes on Raquel. He loves Damien to bits, obviously. He's really proud he's got a son. He would not go out and start like cheating on her and all that sort of stuff. But like you say, he's trying to get his leg over like 10 minutes out of the country. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. But um, yeah, I've always wondered that. Um, just, you know, I mean, he's done, there's been a couple of weird things where he's done something out of character where Raquel was concerned. But we know he obviously wouldn't physically do anything, or he'd like to think not. Yeah, definitely not. So that's kind of how that one wraps up with the plane sort of in midair, the music kicks in and on the DVD it carries on. But um, actually, obviously, when it was shown on TV and when it's still shown on TV now, it ends there. And um, next week, they'll get to Miami and we shall carry on the story. Absolutely, yeah. And as I say, like the part one section, if you watch it as a part one, I don't think it works. If you watch it all of it, um, like start to finish, including part two, it flows a lot better from what I remember. But this, as just a standalone section, this part one, it is good, but it does just feel like there's certain dialogue parts that are forced. Like even the bit in the cafe when Rodney's doing this sort of talking about the Brazilian rainforest and all that sort of stuff, it just feels like dialogue that was just hammed in and it doesn't quite flow. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But like I say, if you see it as the two-parter, it makes total sense. But yeah, I mean, the next episode was the next day this was christmas eve then the, the miami part was christmas day so they did flow one day after each other um but yeah well and interestingly i won't look ahead of time just see what the viewing figures were like for the second part because i was a bit surprised to see a four million dip in this one yeah i mean being obviously christmas and everything there's a lot of stuff behind for attention isn't there even back then before there was only like four channels or something but maybe there's just a lot of things on and um it didn't pick up traction but yeah it'd be interesting to see what the viewerships were People caught this later on, a bit of word of mouth. People recorded it and watched it back. Maybe uh, they picked it up for the second one. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, this was Christmas Eve, the next one, obviously, Christmas Day. And Christmas Day is the big sort of day, isn't it? Particularly back then, it was like the big Christmas special. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's pretty much our look at uh, Miami Twice, uh, The American Dream. Um, let us know what you think of this part of the episode. If you're a fan or not a fan, let us know by getting in touch at the Hyperbaric Ghost on Twitter. And uh, let us know if you've got any thoughts about part two that's uh, coming up next week. Indeedy, yeah. We shall um, hopefully be on the weekly from now on in. I think we've got, what, nine episodes left after this one, Bread Roll? So we're, we're nearing the end. 
We are, yeah, the journey's coming to an end, but um, we'll try and keep you entertained as we get there. And um, as always, with any of the specials coming up, uh, let us know if there's any sort of tidbits or particular parts you're fond of, and we'll try and give you a shout out on the episodes as and when we do them. And as always, thank you very much for joining us. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. This holiday is not going to be another Benidorm revisited. And I warn you, if I see one, just one bra hanging off the balcony. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw.